We love you, Jesus, because you first loved us. Wouldn't even know what love is had you not demonstrated it for us. That you laid down your life to save us. It was an unconditional love. Amen. And I just can't have a rock cry in my place. No, I, can't, I can't let that happen. He's been too good to me. He's been too good to me. Saved my soul. Changed my life. I'm going to heaven when I die. And the devil can't do anything about it. I'm saved. I'm forgiven. I'm set free. I'm loved. I'm blessed. I'm highly favored. All of that stuff. Because of Jesus, I'm blessed. Amen. Well, let's look at the shepherd one more time in Psalm 23. We've been getting a fresh look of Psalm 23 psalm that we're very familiar with, but we're asking God to give us a fresh look, fresh insight into it. So we talked about how he shepherds us. We talked about how he makes us, that is, lay down. We talked about how he leads us, and that is beside those still waters, and how he restores our soul. Next week, you'll hear about how he comforts us. Then you'll hear about how he dines us and how he anoints us and how he blesses us. Uh, but today, we're going to look at verse 4, and that is he accompanies us. And so although we see so much attention given to the sheep, a true look at this psalm sees the shepherd who blesses and cares for the sheep because no sheep in the natural realm whether we're talking about of the animal kingdom or a sheep of a human kind, can survive and make it without the help and the guidance and the nurturing and the protection and the provision of the shepherd. And we have a good shepherd. So let's start at verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup is running over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Can somebody say amen? Amen. 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 Well, let's look at verse 4 where David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. So let's talk today on the subject of he accompanies me. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for the attribute that you have that you alone possess, and that is you are omnipresent. You are everywhere all the time. And as we worship you here, Lord God, in Forest Hills, a suburb of Nashville, there are believers worshiping you throughout this state throughout this nation and throughout the world, and you are present with them as you are with us. You are an amazing God. You do not change. 
We thank you, Lord, that the highest heavens cannot contain you, yet you have chosen to humble yourself and become imminent and close and real and touchable to us on a personal level and even on a corporate level in this local church. There is no God like you and there is no God beside you. We thank you, Lord, that it is in you that we live and that we move and that we have our being. You have given us breath and so, Lord, we say praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we know who you are. But thank you, Lord, that you know who we are. And in spite of that knowledge, you still love us. So thank you for the shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep and not only laid it down, but he took it back up. He rose again. Help us to see him more than we see ourselves today. Help us to see his power and his awesomeness, his beauty, his majesty, his dominion more than we see our troubles and our issues and our trials Lord, those things are real. You care about them. But Lord, you're going to remind us that there's more to this life than this life. So give us eyes to see and ears to hear what the spirit of the Lord is going to say today to us individually and to this body. We give you the praise in advance for we ask it all in Jesus name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. One of the best ways to study the Bible is to ask questions of the Bible. So when you're reading and you don't understand something, rather than just moving on to the next portion, it's good to stop and pause and just ask questions. What does this mean? And the best interpreter of the Bible is the Bible itself. And so once you start answering those questions, you are now doing what is called inductive Bible study. So just slow it down and back it up and do what the Ethiopian eunuch did in the book of Acts. When he was heading back home to the nation of Ethiopia under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, he was heading back after being in Jerusalem as a pilgrim coming to worship Yahweh. He's heading back home. He's in a chariot. He is a man of power and prominence and prestige, but he's lost and he knows it. And he's reading from the scroll of Isaiah, the prophet. And he's just sitting there and he's reading and he has questions about what he's reading. Well, the Holy Spirit tells Philip, go and stand by that chariot. And he goes over because as a believer, we should be ready in season and out of season to minister to those in the world who are lost and who have questions. And as he's reading, he asks a question is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? From Isaiah 53, when it talks about how the shepherd became a sheep and he was wounded for our transgressions. And, and the Ethiopian had a fair question. Who, who is the prophet talking about? And the Bible says at that moment, Philip began to teach him about Jesus from the scriptures. So he had a question and his question got answered. So as you read the scriptures, Write down questions and ask God to give you the answers. And before you grab a commentary like Philip's commentary, make sure you ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, would you show me? Let me compare scripture with scripture. Let me dig a little deeper today. Well, as I come to Psalm 23, the way we're going to do this today is we're going to ask questions. And the first question that I have as I read this illustrious portion of scripture is what is the valley of the shadow of death. Ask a question. What is the valley of the shadow of death? Well, 
A valley is a low area of land between hills or mountains. It is a plain, and it is typically, uh, it has a river or a stream running through it. So it's a low area of land between hills and mountains, and it typically has water, a river, a stream running through it. In the natural realm, valleys can be dangerous places because of flash floods. So when floods come, those uh, ravines can fill up quickly, and it can be dangerous for those who are down below. In the natural realm, valleys can be dangerous places because of falling rocks. And so sometimes when you're riding on certain parts of the highway, you'll see the signs about, you know, rocks can fall. Be, be careful because of falling rock, because they're so high up on the hill. And once they start coming down, that avalanche can get you if you're not careful. Same thing happens in valleys. But then also they're dangerous because of wild animals or even robbers. Robbers hang out in valleys. So when Jesus gives the parable, of the Good Samaritan, and he talks about how they had to go down uh, from Jerusalem, going down because Jericho is situated in a valley. And so as one would go from Jerusalem, they would go down, moving down towards sea level, and they would have to go down and around. And in these dark places and, and these twists and these turns, robbers would hang. And in that story that Jesus tells, he talked about a man who nearly lost his life because he was ambushed on that road heading into Jericho, which goes through the valley of Jericho. And so a valley can be a place where notorious criminal activity can occur. Because if you just move the V off a valley, you've got alley. And some of us have had some bad experiences in some alleys. I don't have time to go down there, down memory alley, but, but, but we do know that alleys can be dangerous and so can valleys. Well, in the Bible, there are several valleys mentioned. So many kinds of valleys are found in the Bible. There is the Valley of Jericho, as I mentioned, the Valley of Megiddo, the Valley of Barak, the Valley of Decision, the Valley of Salt, the Valley of Jehoshaphat, the Valley of Jezreel, the Valley of Hinnom, and even the Valley of Elah. And there's so many, many more valleys that we see in the topography of Israel. Um, however, though, when we talk about the valley of the shadow of death, it is not a literal place. It is a figurative place. It is a metaphorical way of describing a time or a place where you feel like your life is being threatened by evil, darkness, and death. So the valley of the shadow of death, it's not a literal place, it's a metaphorical place, it's a figurative place that speaks of when you feel like you are being threatened by the forces of darkness, where you feel like you are being enclosed in by the forces of death and evil, satanic oppression, where you feel threatened, where you wonder if you're going to make it or not. So the valley of the shadow of death is equivalent to what Ephesians chapter 6 verse 13 calls the evil day. And so when David talks about this in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, it talks about the evil day. And that's when Satan bombards and launches a full-scale attack against your house and against your life. Because just because we do know Jesus and we're covered by the blood, we are under constant attack. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5 that Satan is like a roaring lion prowling about, seeking whom he may devour. 
And so spiritual warfare is real, and the evil day is when God just removes the, the protective hedge just a little bit to allow the thief to come in to try and kill, to steal and destroy. But as Job said in his letter, he says that our God is able to tell the, the ocean, this far you may come and no further. So the Lord is the one who allows certain, he allows everything. It must be sifted through his fingers of grace. Even spiritual warfare, evil attacks the evil day because Martin Luther once said that the devil is real, but he's God's devil and he's on a leash. He's on a leash and God knows what you need and he will use the devil and spiritual warfare to grow us, but he will tell the devil this far you may come and no further. God uses spiritual warfare then and now to develop us and to mature us. We go through valleys. Several times in my life, I have felt the presence of evil. The presence of darkness several times in my life. And most of those occurrences were when I did missions. So don't be afraid to do missions because I'm saying this to you. But recognize that many times that's where the fight is. When you go out and your goal is to do what Jesus did. Who was anointed to set captives free. That we are to go in his name and in his authority to make disciples of all nations. And not just here in America. And so when we go out to other places, there are different spirits and spiritual assignments and demons that are present. And when we walk into these places, you can literally feel the oppression. Do I have a witness? Do I have anybody that understands what I'm talking about? Because it's real. It is real. I remember being in Nigeria, and I don't have a lot of time to talk about this, but I went into Kano, which is a Muslim stronghold. I mean, the, the entire area is dedicated to Islam. And when you go into that area, when you leave Jos, which is more of a Christian nation, I mean, Christian area, and you go into Kano, you can feel the oppression of all of these prayers that have been prayed to Allah. You can feel the evil. You can feel the threat when you see these people walking around. And you know when you're out in the middle of a place that doesn't have access for your cell phone, there aren't any roads. The, 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 the buses and trucks, rather, are driving on dirt roads. And you're out in the middle of nowhere. And you know you can get killed and nobody will know it. And you're walking into these places and you're out in the bush and you're trying to minister to tribal chiefs and you're trying to love on children who need encouragement or who need some physical things like food and clothes or fresh water. You can feel the oppression because the enemy does not want you coming up into his stronghold trying to set his captives free in the name of Jesus. But we go anyway as armor bearers of the light of the world. We go, we go, we go, we go, we go, but you feel it. When I was in Darfur, I remember they had these things called Janjaweed, which were devil on horseback. And these were militiamen who would go around and just kill people. And when we came into the area to bring food and supplies and Bibles, we were told to beware of the devil on horseback, the Janjaweed. They ride in and they ride out and they come in in blood. And so you're in these places and you're not in Williamson County Cool Springs and there's a cop over here and a fire department over there. You're out in the middle of nowhere and all you got is God. And you're like, Lord, please be my shepherd. Lord, protect me. But then as you're in the midst of that stuff, something happens. The boldness of the Holy Ghost come up on you and you're not afraid of anything. You're surely not afraid to die. You're not afraid of death. You're not afraid of satanic influence. Oh, that's a great thing. And that's why when we go, we grow. When you do missions, you grow. But when we stay, we shrink. 
So at some point, whether we do it there or here, we need to go and share the gospel of Jesus. I felt oppression in Chicago, Caprini Green Projects. When you're walking in those places and all these gangbangers are around. And you got guys who don't respect themselves and they don't respect you. It don't matter that I'm a black man. I'm not one of the red men as far as running with the bloods or with the blue running with the crips. And you feel the spirit of death in the projects where people are doing whatever they got to do to survive. And you walk into these places with the love of Christ. You're going really as a lamb into a slaughter. But the shepherd is the one who's with you when you're going into these places. I felt that oppression in Harlem and in Baltimore, my hometown, in New Jersey. Memphis has a different kind of spirit over it, a lot of murder and death. And even in Franklin, in hard bargain, back in the day, before uh, Brant Bousquet and those guys began to transform that community and rebuild those homes, and New Hope Academy reached into the community to educate the children. This was years ago, over 20 years ago, when we would do street vigils in hard bargain because there was a whole lot of drug trafficking going on there. There were shootings going on there. And we would go out and we would have prayer vigils and marches and walks. We would circle up on the street and you didn't know if you would be caught up in a drive-by while you had your eyes closed, while you were holding hands, praying in the name of Jesus to put down the stronghold of darkness in the community. But I'm standing here today because it kept me back then and he keeps me now because we must go because the one who is in us is greater than the spirit that is in the world. We got to go. We got to go. We've got to go. But I've also been through the valley of the shadow of death when I've gone through Confederate flag saturated back roads of Williamson County. Oh, I felt it. I felt it. And I checked my gas and say, I better have enough gas while I'm riding through this spot. I'm not afraid, but the Lord did tell me to be wise. You feel it. You feel it. You feel it. Because the valley of the shadow of death is any situation in life that tries to make us fearful. That's how the enemy works. <clears throat> That's his main card. He tries to intimidate. But we're reminded that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. This is spiritual warfare. Yea, though I walk through this valley of the shadow of death, I don't need to fear evil. Because the valley of the shadow of death is when you receive a bad report. It comes, and it's a report from the doctor, and they begin to tell you what's wrong. And because of legal reasons, they have to say everything of what could be wrong with you or what could be wrong with your child. They're just diagnosing, they're telling you everything. It's bleak, it's sad, it's hurtful, it's painful. You get that bad doctor's report, and it's like, oh my, you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death when they drop that C word on you. You're like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? And at that point, you began to look up to God for help. Even as Isaiah went in to talk to Hezekiah, and Hezekiah had had an, a sickness unto death. And the Bible says he turned his face to the wall and said, Lord, save me. He had got this report. He was going to die. But God heard his cry and sent Isaiah back into the palace and put a fig tree on the boil and he was healed. So he was going through this valley of the shadow of death. He had had a bad diagnosis, but he still prayed and God heard that prayer. Oh, the valley of the shadow of death is real. It's real, it's real. It's when you receive the phone call that one of your loved ones is sick or one of your loved ones has passed away or 
You've got the divorce certificate in the mail or, or, or you've got the eviction notice or you've got the pink slip because you've been laid off and you get all this negative stuff, this death, this choking of your life experience. What do you do? Nashville was in the valley of the shadow of death last week because on Monday, four students were shot at a bus station in Nashville because someone, probably on a gang initiation, just started shooting in a crowd of hundreds. Four people were shot, others were injured, and the paper comes out the next day, what are we going to do in Nashville about this bloody situation? Then on Tuesday, Tuesday morning, a young lady lost her life right around Wedgwood in 65 as she was driving with her two children in the back in car seats. Somehow her car got wrapped around a utility pole. She passed away. And one of her family members who's related to the children through the father attends our church. And they had to deal with that last week. The highway was shut down. Traffic was backed up. People are going to funeral homes. People are trying to take care of children, recognize who's going to do it, who's going to take care. And they're having to deal with all that last week. And so last week, as a city, as a community, we were going through the valley of the shadow of death. It's when the bad news comes, and you just don't know what to do. It doesn't make sense. It's evil. It comes from out of nowhere. And you ask, why didn't God prevent this from happening? And that's many times when unbelievers ask, well, why didn't God stop this? If God is good, why didn't he stop this? Well, who has known the mind of God that we can instruct him, number one. And God's ways are higher than our ways, and God knows many things that we don't know, and he's going to use everything for his glory and his good, even gory things for his glory. We can't understand it, but we trust his nature. When I don't understand his mind, I trust his nature, and he's a God of love, but unbelievers don't understand that. But what we need to do is say to them, hey, okay, why didn't he stop that? I don't know. But there are many things he stopped that we'll never know. There's so many accidents that you should have had and could have had. He stopped it. Sicknesses that should have came upon you. He blocked it. We'll never know all the stuff that he did stop, that he did block. And so when there's one that does get through because he allows it, then we trip on God and use that as an excuse to not want to trust him and give our hearts to him. But he's blocked it, protected us so many times. We'll have to get to heaven to find out how many times Satan tried to kill us, but God said no. Oh, then others will say, well, where was God when that lady died on Tuesday? Where was he preaching? Let me tell you where he was. He was the same place when his son died on the cross 2,000 years ago. So, that family, they, they can have a, a, a great connection because of, of a loss. And God knows loss, but he also knows gain. He knows resurrection. And that's why as Christians, we don't grieve like the world. We grieve with hope. Because although we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't part there. Oh, I wish I had a praying church with me today. We, we, we don't part there. 
We, we know that's just part of the journey in this life. We're going to go through death and evil and darkness and shadows, but we don't part there. We do know that there's more after that. And so we have peace of knowing that even though I'm in something right now that's hard, that's tough, I don't know if my mother's going to make it, if my father's going to make it. I lost my job. I've got to declare for bankruptcy. They told me I got this sickness. Oh, my, I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death, but I got a promise. And that is, he is with me. His name is Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is present. So my second and final question is, why, Pastor Chris, are God's sheep in the valley of the shadow of death to begin with? Or you told me what the valley of the shadow of death is. It's any situation in life that comes that attempts to make me fearful. We're talking about evil and death and darkness. We go through it. But why in the world would the good shepherd lead his little old timid defenseless sheep up into a place like that? Because if we look at the text and we take it at face value, the same God who led the sheep by the green pastures. And we amen him, oh, thank you, Jesus, thank you for the green path. The same God who leads you beside the still waters is the same God that will take you through the valley of the shadow of death. And so the key is, is that I'm rolling with him. He's not rolling with me, I'm rolling with him. He's driving and he's asking me, saying, Chris, who you with, who you with? I'm with you, Lord. And so wherever you lead, I will follow, even when it doesn't make sense to me. As long as I'm with you, like Moses said, God told Moses, look now, he was testing him. He said, uh, these people are getting on my nerves. I'm just going to let them go ahead into the promised land. I'm going to stay back here. And Moses said, Lord, unless you go, I'm not going either. So Lord God, you, we got to go together. Because when you called me in Exodus chapter 3, you told me don't be afraid of Pharaoh because you said I will be with you. And so, Lord, I don't want to take another step out there. I don't want to take one step unless you're with me. And when God is with you, it doesn't matter who is against you because God in one person is a majority. When you're on his side, when you're doing what he's blessing and you're not asking God to bless the stuff that you're doing. Yeah, he'll do that. It's called his permissive will. But his perfect will is when you do the stuff that he's blessing. And so when he leads you into the valley of the shadow of death, just remember you left some still waters and some green pastures. You got to go through some of this stuff too. And if I could just remix Bobby Brown real quick. I would say um, uh, every little step I take, it's me and Jesus. Every little step I make, we'll be together. I feel like doing a running man up in here. Ah, uh, yeah, baby. Uh, 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 boom, boom, boom. Every little step I take is me and Jesus. Because he made a promise to never ever leave me nor forsake me. Now, he ain't going to leave me, but he sure will stretch me. And the best stretching happens in the valley. So the Lord will take us through the valley of the shadow of death for several reasons. Number one, he does it to increase our intimacy with him. When are you closest to God? At the green pastures? At the still waters? Or in the valley of the shadow of death? I don't know why this image just jumped in my mind, Bob, of the Wizard of Oz. 
If you notice, when they're on their way to see the wizard, they're kind of, you know, doing their thing, four lines. But when they started going through that valley of darkness where the witch put the poison out there, poison, poison, they got together up in there. They were close together because there's nothing like going through a dark place that make you grab a hold of somebody else. And so we get closer to God, God in the darkness more so than we do in the green pastures. Notice how David's language changes in verse 4. Because in the first three verses, he's referring to God as his namesake. He will lead me. He makes me. But in verse 4, when he's up in the valley of the shadow of death, he refers to God as you are with me. There ain't no more he up in here. You are with me. Because now I've gotten more intimate, more personal, more cl closer to you because I'm in this place that is really saying, you can't do this on your own. You need him. And man, if that's something that will make me get closer to Jesus, then man, I got to thank God for the valley. Because if it would make me get closer, get on my knees, seek God's face, pray, fast, cry, worship, thank God for the valley because it lets me know that I don't have the power to fix this, but I'm rolling with the one who does, so let me get closer to him. Ah. Every now and then my family likes to go to Holiday World. And um, when I was young, I used to ride a whole lot of roller coasters. Be right, I used to do that, but when I started getting older, those roller coasters shake up an old man too much and my equilibrium get jacked up. So when I get off the roller coaster, my equilibrium is over here. And it takes the rest of the day for it to come back this way. But every now and then I get the courage to get on a roller coaster and I like riding with my wife. You know, we put the kids up front, you know, since we got four of them, Dante and Krista will ride together. Then Karis and Chase will ride together. And me and my honey will ride together. And what I like about roller coasters, especially in holiday world, when you start going through all those twists and turns, my wife starts getting a little bit closer to me. Now, she don't know I'm just as scared as she is, but I can't play it. So they got this thing that right before you come into the station, you got to go through this dark tunnel and you can't see anything. So now when we get into... The, the ride to start off, my wife is sitting over there, I'm sitting over here. But by the time that ride finished and we go through that dark tunnel, that girl's sitting on my lap up in there. I don't know how she got out the security thing, but she all up on her brother, you know? <laughs> Ain't nothing like a tough time to get us all up on Jesus. Well, he takes us through the valley of the shadow of death to develop our faith in him. You see, there was a time, y'all, when you couldn't take photos and get them immediately, like we have today on our phones, you, you would have to take the photo and then you would have to go into this thing called a dark room. And in the dark room is when the negatives would develop. And so the only way that you could see the picture was that the film had to first go through a dark process before it came out and you could see it in all of its vibrancy. And Tony Evans has a statement that says, God does his best work in the dark. So when we're going through the valley of the shadow of death, God is developing us so that when he does bring us out, we have an image on us that looks more like him than when we went into the dark place. You see, as our faith grows, our fear diminishes. And so God has to strengthen our faith 
so that fear can become small because if we don't go through tests and know his power, then fear will reign in our lives. But he doesn't want anything reigning in our lives except him and especially not fear. So he takes us through things whereby we have to trust him so that our faith can grow and fear will shrink. Fear has been described, Pastor Darrell has said this, F-E-A-R as false evidence appearing real. Fear is false evidence appearing real. Fear exaggerates stuff. When you're afraid, fear exaggerates it and makes it bigger than what it is. Just like shadows. Shadows exaggerate things. So when I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, the enemy exaggerates things. He gives me this false evidence and it appears as real. And so I am intimidated just like in your room at night when the teddy bear casts a shadow that looks like a monster up against the wall. And you're sitting there and your mind is playing tricks on you, ghetto boys, ghetto boys, and you're looking at it like, it, it, what is that? And you start getting scared. And now every little noise starts messing with you. You're looking around the room and you're seeing all kind of stuff. And then when you turn the lights on, oh, it's just my teddy bear. Oh, it's just this. But, but when it's dark, though, your mind, your mind, stuff has been exaggerated. But here's the thing we got to remember. We got to remember this. When the enemy tries to play with our minds by exaggerating stuff, using shadows, we got to recognize that the only way that there is a shadow, Jewel told me this this past week, is that there has to be some light in order to create a shadow. So when you're going through something, don't focus on the shadow. Try to find out where the light is. Because as dark as the situation is, creating all this stuff to make you afraid, God is still present and he is the light of the world. And all you got to do is find where the light is and say, Lord, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm going to focus more on the light. Because we always got something to thank God for. No matter how dark it gets, no matter how bleak it gets, we've always got some light. We always got some hope. And I'm going to focus on that, the crumbs of God, until I... Because I'm coming to a dining table in a little bit. I'm coming there. But I'm going to trust you and I thank you for this little bit right here. And I'm not going to let this darkness play with my mind. He also takes us through to show us that his power is greater. The presence of death and evil cannot nullify or overrule the power of God. You got David versus Goliath. And where did they fight? They fought in the valley of Elah. For 40 days, he's threatening Israel. Israel is intimidated by this man and they see that this valley is a shadow of death because he said, come, send somebody to fight with me. And all Israel was afraid. But a little shepherd boy came along who saw that although this man is big, my God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do like knock you out. So one boy had faith that grown folks didn't even have. Look at 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 2. As Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. Next verse, verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Next verse, so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. So David had a victory in the valley of the shadow of death. 
Why? Because he trusted in God. He made the fight God's fight. He said, you defied God. Forget Israel. You defied God. So God is going to take you out and he'll just use me as the vessel. So that boy took his shepherd's sling, took the rocks out of his pouch after he got him out of the riverbed down there in the valley. And he just threw one. And God guided that stone and knocked the enemy upside the head, which is a picture of Satan getting the death blow to his head in Genesis chapter 3. And so he wants to let us know that no one is greater than God. No one, no situation is greater than God. But then he wants to remind us that this world is not our home. Why does he take us through these valleys? To make us long for heaven. To make us realize that this is not heaven. Yes, we're blessed and we're loved on. He cares for us. But this is not as good as it gets. We're looking for heaven. You see, we live in a fallen world that is infiltrated with fallen angels who influence fallen people in fallen bodies who lead fallen systems. The world we live in is fallen. It's fallen. That's why I'm looking for a better city whose builder and maker is God where there'll be no more sickness and no more sorrow, no more sadness, no more death. And so when I'm going through something down here, it causes me to long to want to go up there to be clothed with my heavenly garment. And that when loved ones succumb to illnesses, it makes me say, still because of Jesus, death has lost its sting. The grave has no victory. Not today, because Jesus lives. So in conclusion, going through the valley of the shadow of death may be unavoidable. We're, we're human. We're, we're going to suffer. We're going to hurt. We're going to see evil. But the presence of the good shepherd is also undeniable. He won't leave you in it alone. He's with you when you're going through it with your family, whatever it is. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. But he will use this to stretch us and to build our intimacy with him, our faith in him, to see that his power is greater and to remind us that this place is not our home. I'm a pilgrim passing through. I don't need to get attached. And so these things remind me of my humanity and thus my limitations and my need for the good shepherd. But before I go, before we take the benediction, you got to notice something. Verse 4 is in the middle of the psalm. The first three verses talk about the Lord is our shepherd. He makes me lie down by green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And then the last two verses talks about how he's going to prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He's going to anoint my head with oil. My cup is going to run over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But right in the middle of those two pieces of bread, if you will, verses one through three and then five and six, you got verse four. And that is the meat of death, of evil, of darkness, of suffering. And so when we're in the middle of that thing, we got to recognize that, yeah, although I'm in this right now, I know some other stuff is coming. So I got to have vision. Yeah, this is where I am, but this is not where I'm going to stay. Trouble does not last always. This too shall pass. I serve a God who is the resurrection and the life. He's walking with me right now. But I do know that this is going to change because there's a banquet table waiting for me on the other side of this. So if I could just hang on in here, if I could just hold on, this is going to shift. And I might even make the argument in a couple of weeks that he might even set the banquet table up right in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death. You don't have to wait to get out of the woods in order for him to dine you like that. 
He'll dine you up in the darkness where your enemies can't even do anything about the fact that you're sitting with Jesus at his table. God will show off like that sometime. But then there's a fresh anointing on the other side of this. There's a fresh anointing. He's going to anoint you with oil, sheep. And that, that anointing is going to be so strong, so thick, it's going to overrun. It's going to fill your cup up. He's got something for you. But, but, and don't forget about the goodness and mercy that's going to be in pursuit all the days of your life. And you're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever on the other side. Don't you stay up in the valley of the shadow of death. Don't you believe the lies of the enemy. God is still in control. He's using this to grow you. But every now and then, if you could just lift your vision and see, oh, man, where I am does not stop where I'm going. I, I see the banquet table. I, I see the oil ready to be poured. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You know, there's a great football team that played for the national championship last year. We know one of the coaches, Lemansky Hall, and I'm talking about the Clemson Tigers. The Clemson Tigers have a rich tradition of winning. And back in the 50s, uh, a gentleman went over into Death Valley, California, and took a rock from there and brought it back into South Carolina to give to the head coach of the Clemson Tigers. And the Clemson coach, he was happy to get this gift from Death Valley, and he would leave it at his door as a doorstop. And, but then after a while, he got tired of it being in his office because it was kind of a burdensome-looking piece. And so he told one of his assistants to just throw it outside. Get, get rid of this rock. I'm tired of it. And so what the assistant did, rather than throwing it away, he set it up at the entrance of the, the football area when the team goes in as a memorial because that football stadium was close to a cemetery. And so what they did was they turned death around and they said that this is now death valley for other teams when they come in here and play. And so when the team comes by, they touch the rock that came from Death Valley and they go down there and they play and their goal is to intimidate every opponent that comes in there. The crowd goes crazy and so it's a tough atmosphere to play in because you can't always hear the cadences and so they call it Death Valley. It's life for Clemson, but it's death for other teams. But here's the thing though. Clemson has a 71% win uh, 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 grid up in Death Valley. Now, that's good, but that ain't great. So they win seven out of ten of their games that's played at Death Valley. But I'm here to let y'all know, as, as we close this service out, that the God I serve, he ain't never lost in Death Valley. Y'all, <laughs> he ain't never lost in Death Valley. He got a 100% record. He, he, he's undefeated in the valley of the shadow of death. And so that's who I'm rolling with. Who you rolling with? Do you know this good shepherd? Oh, that's who I'm riding with. So no matter what news I get, the good shepherd says, you can handle it because I'm with you. No matter what sickness, if, if I die today, it does not matter. Because through him, death lost its sting a long time ago. The grave has no victory. I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. I'm alive. Oh, do you know Jesus? Would you stand on your feet and pray? Brother Basil, Brother Basil, Brother Basil, would you come and close us? Amen, amen. Oh, yeah. Y'all be encouraged. I know that there are people in this church who are hurting. 
I know that there are people in this church who have medical needs, medical bills. They have uh, reports from out of town of sick relatives and aunts and uncles and aunts and mothers. I know that some of you have children who are hurting. I know you're going through a lot of things, trying to find work and your home, uh, your car is broken. You're going through some tough times, but just be encouraged. He's with you. He has not left you and he will not forsake you. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you today for the word. We thank you that you are with us constantly. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the songs we sang today to surrender all to you. That regardless of what we go through, you are with us to guide us, to shield, to guide us, to protect us, to shield us. We thank you for this new day, the first day in the month of May. We surrender our lives to you. We ask that you help us where we struggle, that you strengthen us as we go with you that will constantly look to you and trust in you regardless of what we experience, that your goodness and your mercy will guide us. We give you praise. We give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.